0: Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for parents who want to succeed at work while also raising children. My name is Lori Mahalik-Levin. I'm a healthcare lawyer, founder of a program called Mindful Return that helps employers to retain their new parent top talent and mama to two wonderful redheaded boys. I am joined today by my co-host and amazing husband, Jason Levin. Hey, Jason.
1: Hi, Lori. It's such a pleasure to be Lori Mahalik-Levin's husband. Hi, Jason Levin. I founded Ready, Set, Launch LLC 10 years ago, where I help executives make career and retirement transitions, get the promotion, and grow their professional services practice. My upcoming book, Relationships to Infinity, The Art and Science of Keeping in Touch, will debut in January 2022.
0: In this episode, we're picking up on our tradition of interviewing moms and then dads in different professional roles. We just interviewed two amazing CEO moms, and you can catch that episode on all the places where you find this podcast. And today, we're moving on to talk to two dads who are also CEOs. So we
1: are lucky to have Bob Spagnoletti. He serves as the chief executive officer of the District of Columbia Bar, the largest integrated bar in the United States with more than 110,000 members practicing in all 50 states and more than 80 countries. Bob also serves as the executive vice president of the DC Bar Pro Bono Center, an independent 501c3 affiliate of the DC Bar. The Pro Bono Center recruits, trains, and mobilizes volunteer attorneys to take pro bono cases serving individuals living in poverty who are at risk of losing their homes, their livelihoods, and their families. Bob and his husband, Bernard, have been together for 20 years and have two boys, Hunter and Anthony, and one grandson.
0: Welcome, Bob. It's good to
1: have you here today.
0: Thanks,
2: Lori. Thanks, Jason. It's great to be with you.
0: Yeah, and as a longtime proud member of the DC Bar, I'm also excited that that is where you're hailing from.
2: And, and we're very thankful for you continuing to pay your license fees every year. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> you're welcome. I'm, I'm diligent about that. Absolutely. Wouldn't want that, one thought went to lapse. Also joining us today, we are honored to have Charles Bonello. Uh, Charlie is the co-founder and CEO of Vivi, a provider of child care and early education for children of all ages. With programs across the country, including on-campus, in-home, in-office, and virtual tutoring, Vivi partners with employers of all different sizes to make childcare more accessible and affordable, providing parents with peace of mind while allowing employers the most powerful tool for recruiting, retention, and productivity. Prior to this, Charlie co-founded Grand Central Tech and was a venture partner at RTP Ventures. He's a graduate of Tufts University and currently resides in New York with his wife and their three children, Charlie, welcome and really good to have you here today.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation and to spend some time together.
0: Great. And, you know, just reading your bio, I wish that I had had accessible, affordable childcare. We live in DC where that's not really a reality. So really excited about your mission. Okay. So the first thing that we always do on the Parents at Work podcast is ask our guests to tell us about your respective working parent stories. So, Bob, I'd love to turn to you first. Just ask you to tell us the story of your working parent life.
2: That's an interesting question. So Bernard and I, were of same-sex relationship, and we have two kids at the moment. And I say at the moment is because we've had other kids as well. My older son, Hunter, who's now 27, came to us as a foster child through the D.C. Abuse and Neglect System. And we got him when he was three months old. I was working full-time at, the, at, the, at that point as an assistant United States attorney here in D.C., And we had committed to becoming foster parents to kids with the idea that maybe one of those kids would be eligible for adoption. So this is back in the mid-90s when it was very unusual for same-sex couples to do flat-out adoptions. But this was one way to kind of get around that was to become a foster parent. And then hopefully it became an adoption, which is exactly what happened with Hunter. So we got Hunter at three months old. We relied on other childcare, so I could go to trial every day in the courthouses downtown. But then after Hunter, we had other foster kids as well for the next five or six years. All of those kids wound up being reunified with their families. Then several years later, we did a straight adoption for Anthony, who is now 13 years old. So there are 14 years difference between our older son and our younger son. And during that time period, I am an average age dad for Hunter. I'm kind of an old dad for Anthony, so much so that occasionally one of his friends will say, is that your grandfather here to pick you up? But uh, the entire time, of course, I've been working throughout. And Bernard is a a teacher. He's a, a preschool special ed teacher. So he worked in D.C. public schools for a long period of time, and now he's in a small private school. And he took off time when we had Anthony, but did not take off time otherwise. So we relied on you know, various sundry child care for, for Hunter when he was little, and then also for the um, foster kids who wound up getting reunified. When we, adopt, when we got Hunter as a foster child, I was an assistant U.S. attorney, which was sort of a very heavy trial schedule. and So that was crazy, but we made it work. And then I wound up becoming the attorney general for the District of Columbia, in 2003, and I was that uh, held that position for four years. Then a in a private practice at a small firm from 2007 until 2017, when I became the CEO of the DC Bar. So I've had a pretty a, kind of a wide ranging career, while also being obviously full time dads for both of my sons. I've been uh, interestingly enough, I when I was interviewed for the CEO of the DC Bar. They they had a recruiter at the time who was doing all kinds of basic interviewing and testing and everything else. And they said, describe yourself in three words. And I picked, well, dad. And then I couldn't find the other two. (laughs) 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 Literally, I could not think of two other words to describe (laughs) myself. Um, but that I think is the the sum and substance of of my how of you know, sort of how we wound up with our kids. And and also um the fact that we I worked the entire time. Yeah, we were fortunate because Bernard was was able to be home, particularly with Anthony during the first two and a half years. And then also, you know, because he's on a school schedule, that gave us a little bit more flexibility when it came to things like breaks and summers and the rest. Whereas I, you know, I, I kind of worked throughout. I'll leave it at there.
0: Thank you, Bob. That's such an inspiring story. And we've had, you know, so many people on this podcast who have come to parenthood in many different ways, but we've never had anyone here who has um, adopted a foster child. So I appreciate that you're bringing that perspective to the conversation as well. Charlie, over to you. Let's hear your working parent story.
3: Oh, man. You know, I'm in the unique unique and very fortunate position to have started a child care company before I had children. (laughs) Um, So some might call it good planning. I I call it a a, a stroke of good fortune. Uh, on my side. And, and so the, the thread that you're going to hear from me uh, across the board is, is really gratitude for, for having the opportunities that we've had, right? For me, and I think my story is intertwined with these just inextricably at this point, given how salient the topic is to our discussion, right? Uh, for me, the story of Vivi really started about eight years ago when I co-founded my last company and I saw firsthand the impact that childcare had on working families and on their employers, uh, particularly working moms. And it was like, they, you know, we grew to thousand people, and it was like once a week somebody would come into my office and say, "I'm pregnant," or "My wife's pregnant," or "My partner's pregnant," or we just hired somebody with a child, we just adopted a child. Is there any childcare around here? And you just saw the downward spiral that happened. People could couldn't find childcare that was accessible, affordable, and something that they felt comfortable using. And that's really a nationwide nationwide issue. For me, you know, having seen that and having tried to solve a problem from an HR process perspective, which really meant going out and talking to all the vendors across marketplaces, on-site providers, etc., and not finding anything that really served that need for families is diving in and and really getting our hands dirty to make it happen. When we went out, you know, uh, to, to start building Vivi, it was this inspiring, but almost kind of esoteric exercise of this is what parents need based on what we've seen. And then the babies come and it's just like, I don't know if you ever see that. I forget what movie it is, but it's like all in black and white. When it, sneezes, it goes into color. That's what I would like in being like a prospective parent to an actual parent, too. And so, look, we were very fortunate to have access to exceptional child care, but it's still tough, right? And uh, my wife is a nurse. So this all happened at the same time as COVID. You know, she's working 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., which is really like 6 a.m. to 9 p.m on these shifts, when everything's uncertain and crazy, and we're starting a company, and we have school or childcare a portion through it. And you know, it's just... It's a lot of juggling through it. And what was particularly inspiring throughout it was that kind of mission-driven focus on I'm one of the lucky ones, right? And to be able to serve families in need of childcare at such a desperate time is what set us all on fire and allowed us to go out there and continue driving our programs, not just in our schools but also now in an omni-channel approach where we're serving families in their homes. So the DMV area is a big area of focus for us for all the reasons that, that you all mentioned, right? Boston's a big area for all the reasons that you mentioned. So our virtual tutoring platform to be able to serve families through that. And so that's a, a, a wide meandering way of saying that, like, my, my working parent story is the story of our company, is the story of my life. It's, it just, it ties all together. It's, it's a very tight break.
0: Yeah. And remind us, Charlie, how old your children are at this point?
3: So I have, I'm not just the, the co-founder and the CEO. I'm also the first dad. My two-year-old Grace has been attending the since she was three months old. Oh. And that wasn't, a, that wasn't enough. So we went and had twins about two months ago. And so they are now actually three months. They're three months old now. Time flies guys. I was saying that they were born two weeks ago up until last week. And I was like, Oh no, they've been around for a little bit longer. I feel like that's what, that's what everybody ends up doing. But yeah. So, so I'm not just the first dad. I'm also the biggest by, by count, so to speak, <laughs> uh, across our entire, our entire company
0: yeah so you had both a toddler and now twins through the pandemic so yeah that that's already a lot charlie and i love your how you described basically going from an academic type exercise around <laughs> child care to actually having it become real life i would love to stick with you charlie for a minute and then go to you bob what is it like to be a parent ceo these days i mean we we hear from people about what it's like to be a ceo we hear what it's like to be a parent but what is it like day-to-day to combine those two roles?
3: Um, it's, it's really all-consuming. And it, and it feels sometimes like science fiction because it doesn't stop. It's one of these things, and you're gonna, I'm going to continue hitting on this throughout our conversation. There's a temptation to, to kind of push everything together. For me, what i found has been particularly useful has been compartmentalizing. So that when I'm CEO, I'm CEO and, and I'm drawing in these, these resources and, and experiences. But when I'm with the babies, I'm dad. Uh, and I'm able to support them and work with them. I think, here's the thing, it's really hard, but it's a privilege. Being a dad has made me a better CEO and being a CEO, I think, has made me a better dad. It's just trying to split the two apart feels almost uh, like a Sisyphean task to some extent, right? And so that's, that's one way of putting it out there in terms of how it's affected me. I like to think about how it also affects my colleagues. As CEO, if I'm doing everything and I'm lifting everything, I'm doing something wrong. Right. I'm I'm only gonna be as effective as I can inspire my team to be and my colleagues to be, and how I support them as well. And so the funny, cute little practical things that we can talk about later, but it's also the the acknowledgement that of our team, more than half are working parents. Mm-hmm. And everybody who's a parent here uses Vivi for their children, right? So it's it's one of these things where like we're all kind of in it together and it ends up becoming really um really a supportive community, I think, where where we're able to push each other but also support each other in the best way possible.
0: Yeah, that that theme of being the CEO makes me a better parent and being a parent makes me a better CEO definitely came up on the mom episode too. And I was uh, quoting some research from Yael Schoenbrunn about a term called work-life enrichment, which I really love because it takes the emphasis off of that scarcity mindset of either and says that they actually do inform and bolster one another. Love that idea, Charlie. Over to you, Bob. What would you say it's like to be a parent CEO?
2: I'll certainly agree with Charlie that it's all consuming because I really think that between those two aspects, it really does other, other than maybe exercising a little, which I'm still making time to do in the morning, sort of eat up everything. And and like my, my son is also a um an ice hockey player. And so we're travel hockey all the time. And so it it really does consume everything. But what I think I think the thing that I would say is that Because I am a parent of now just a new teenager, as well as a CEO, the issues that my employees, right, the staff of the bar and the pro bono center, and there are like 200 of them all together, their issues are my issues, right? Their problems are my problems. They're trying to figure out what to do with the fact that their kids are out of school and how to work while they're out of school. They're trying to figure out how to hold meetings virtually or some combination of virtually in person. Their concerns about, is it safe to go back into the building or use public transportation? These are all my concerns as a working parent. I'm thinking about the same things, which allows me to then, as I'm thinking about my responsibilities of, do we open the building? Do we require people to come in? Do we require vaccinations? Do we do all of this? How much time do we give people off? What do we do about making decisions in the absence of school systems, deciding what's going to happen with our classes? They are my problems as well. So when, I'm, when I meet with the staff and I can talk genuinely and vulnerably with them about here's where my head is at and what I'm thinking, it's not simply from the guy above who he's got a $100 million building that needs to be occupied. It's a, I have a $100 million building that needs to be occupied, 200 staff members with the same concerns, and a kid who can't go to school for the next few months because of COVID. And so their problems are my problems. And I think that if anything, that has um, really resonated with me, that we are all yeah, I may be the boss, but we are all in this together in terms of the way we're going to operate, how we're going to do it and how we're going to balance between work and family.
1: Wow, well, Bob, I mean, you speak from real authenticity when you talk about it from that perspective. and the the myriad of things that you need to think about as a CEO, but you're also taking it from your own personal perspective, which is brilliant. So, Bob, let's stay with you. What workplace supports did you find
2: helpful when you
1: became a working parent?
2: Okay. So, we'll start with the most obvious. The fact that I had the power to make the decisions about how we were going to operate, how we do and how much flexibility the staff was going to have. So, You know, going back to the COVID scenario, which is the most immediate and poignant of them, is the ability to give have flexibility to deal with this, right? I mean, if we had all had to go to the building every day, it would have created all kinds of problems. But having the power to make flexibility decisions was a great pillar of support, if you will. Having an executive team around me that has a diversity of viewpoints and opinions, but Felt very trusted and safe. They are very, <laughs> very opinionated. You know, my chief financial officer, my chief operating officer, my chief information officer, chief programs officer—they are all very different human beings with very clear views. But and you know, we created a safe environment for them also to share their views, which allowed me then to factor in all of these things as we were figuring out how, how we figure out how to operate and how much uh, to give everybody the right amount of flexibility to be both the parent and the employee of the bar and the Pro Bono Center. And then, of course, we there was a lot of community reliance, right? So um, I think that you know, going back to the hockey example, the fact that one of Anthony's best friends is also on his hockey team allowed me to rely on things like them taking him back and forth to practice in a safe environment, sharing travel experiences and the rest allowed us to do it. And also provided me with some Free time so for example if I needed to be available for Anthony to do something school wise or for my older son for some reason and I needed then to work later in the evening I could rely on one of these other friends to help support those functions and you know my and I you mentioned in the beginning I, be, I did become a grandfather last year and um, my son lives in, my older son lives in Worcester Massachusetts. But his, the maternal grandmother, my grandson, lives in Worcester as well. So she's provided a great amount of support for them, which took a little bit of burden off of me to do it as well. So, so I think that you know it's colleagues at work. It's, quite frankly, the power that comes with being the CEO to make decisions that benefit everybody in their operation as parent and employee, social supports. And yeah, of course, Bernard, interestingly enough, who had the least amount of flexibility work-wise. But obviously, I relied on him enormously.
1: That's brilliant. And I love how you're taking everybody's viewpoints uh, genuinely and also the, the way you talk about flexibility and understand how important that really is. So good for you, Bob. Charlie, on to you. Same question. What workplace supports did you find particularly helpful as you became a working parent?
3: Yeah, it's a great question, Bob. Fantastic answers on, on your front. It's really inspiring to hear. Look, for us, we're a child care company. And so we eat our own cooking. We offer free childcare to all of our employees, and I can't think of anything that's been more impactful than that for myself. That is huge, Charlie. Huge, huge,
0: huge. Like people flocking to go run for you. Uh, Gigantic,
2: gigantic. (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's
3: it is a huge. It's the most effective recruiting, retention, and productivity tool in existence. So I take advantage of it, and so I call self-serving. Like it works, and when we get great employees. And it's not like we pay them less or we get a hometown discount. We pay them well, we treat them with respect, and we give them access to one of the most impactful resources that there is, which is free high-quality child care line with their needs. Right? And so like, not to... I don't want to turn this into a sales pitch, but it, it has been the most impactful because here's the thing. My wife is a nurse. We have 3 kids. I don't know what the heck I would do for child care if not for my own company. But just from an hours and a coverage perspective, and from a peace of mind perspective, it it just changes the game for me and it changes the game for our colleagues, I think. And it's really powerful to see that happening with our customers and with our partners who are offering this to their people. And it's like a day one lift. Even if it's just a moral lift, it's saying to families this, you know, you now have access to something that the CEO would use, but you can now afford because your employer's um supporting it. There's a lot of joy in what we do, and I and I always say that when we hit on the mission in that kind of way, it just it really changes things for us. And so um, I think that's huge. And then to look, um, much like Bob said, we have a vocal, passionate, and empowered executive team who speaks up for themselves and for each other. And so look, for me, it was great to have the office open throughout the entire pandemic because I lived in a one-bedroom apartment with my two-year-old, right? And, and then we moved. If not for that, I don't know what, what I would have done. But that doesn't work for everybody, right? And so... Our kind of philosophy has been our employees are our partners, they're our team, they're, they're our customers. We have to serve them as much as as the other way around because this is the only way we're gonna get better. And so look, we've hired we started hiring employees remote as well, and and it's been great for our team. I'm I'm looking across the hall right now, at one of our conference rooms, and we have somebody from Boston, somebody from Denver, and somebody from DC that have all come together and they all work on the same team to do an offsite retreat at our offices. It's just kind of a fun 2021 perspective on the world, right? But very early on, we made the decision that like we could fight this wave or we can ride it, and so we chose to ride it, and I think it's it's been particularly productive for us.
0: That's great, Charlie.
1: This episode of the Parents at Work podcast is brought to you by Ready Set Launch, a boutique career coaching firm that supports executives in career and retirement transitions as well as building their professional services practices. I'm Jason Levin, and I've been supporting executives achieving their goals in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors for the past 10 years. Based on those experiences, I decided to write a book called Relationships to Infinity, The Art and Science of Keeping in Touch. We say keep in touch, but we struggle to do so. I wrote this book so that my readers could have proven research-based tactics to keep in touch and reap all the benefits. I'm excited about this book and I know that you will too. Head over to readysetlaunch.net or connect with me on LinkedIn to learn more about the book. Be happy to learn more about your goals and your organization and how there might be a fit. Again, head over to readysetlaunch.net to get back in touch. Now, back to our episode
0: in the spirit of we can probably always learn and grow and evolve more as companies and as society and taking into account the fact that you're so focused on the childcare piece what support didn't you have whenever you became a working parent but you think parents might benefit from
3: i wasn't able to take paternity leave either time I basically worked from home for for a week or maybe two weeks, but I I was on. And I don't wear that as a bed of pride I'm pretty ashamed of it just because it's an important time that you don't get back. That said, it's something that is just a reality of the world of of running a, a small but rapidly grown company in the midst of a global pandemic that you guys show up. That's me. And that's my privilege. And we've been pretty vocal internally that there's only one person who's allowed there are two people who are allowed to do that myself and my co-founder everybody else is expected to take leave take the full amount and to do it in a way that that works for them i'm happy to say that i've scheduled my leave um in a way that is asynchronous to my wife's just so that i can support her and i think that's totally fine in the end but again it's it's one of those things where a perfect world would have done it at the at the same time so uh, it's something that i keep in the back of my head and um like I said, you know, it's, it's always weird when you hear people talking about these things You're like, well, I didn't get X, Y, Z and I didn't do XYZ. I, I want everybody to have access to it because it's so damn important. Yeah. And it's so critical for people to be able to do it. Right. Like, I, I'm not proud of that. I'm, it's just the reality of the world around us. And, you know, I'm not crying for myself either. It's just one of those things where I think it would have been a really great support to have had. And I'm going to be taking it uh, in the coming weeks now that things have quieted down a little bit.
0: Yeah. And that that concept of staggered leave between a mom and a dad, for example, or two partners in a relationship, I think is fairly common and I think can help out in certain ways of, you know, extending the ability for people who don't have free child care to, you know, not have to worry totally. about coverage for extended months, et cetera. So I do think that that's a, a model worth normalizing, too. Totally. Yeah. How about over to you, Bob? Um, What supports didn't you have whenever you became a working parent, but that you think other parents might benefit from?
2: Yeah, I'm going to echo what Charlie said about the paternity leave. And I not only did I not have paternity leave, but I wasn't even in the country when Anthony showed up. I was in I was on my way through security to go to Germany for depositions in the antitrust case when I got the call that Anthony had been born. And so Bernard, for the first 10 days, had to do everything on his own. And then I came back and then I immediately had to keep on working. There was there was no time off. So we, you know, at the D.C. Bar, we have now a uh, I wasn't I was at the firm at the time, not at the bar. But we now have a policy that allows moms and dads and adoptive parents and everybody to take lots of time off afterwards. And we are really sort of like Charlie insistent that you do so. Well, I'm proud to see our folks do do in fact take advantage of that that opportunity because I think it really is critically important, especially in the beginning when you're bonding with with your kids. I want to say that at least in my own case, the other thing, other support that we we didn't have, neither Bernard nor I had, that I'm mindful of for the for the employees themselves, is that so many people rely on their parents or the grandparents of the kids to help, particularly in those in the beginning time period. Quite frankly, even all the way through elementary school, you know, whether it's babysitting or grandparents day or helping out in school and the rest. And my folks are in New Jersey and they're older. Bernard's fam mother lives in Central Pennsylvania and she's also older. And so they were not available to do those kinds of things, which put it all on us then. Like if, if Hunter was sick or Anthony was sick and had to miss school, there's a big negotiation that takes place like what's on your calendar today? What are you doing today? What are you doing today? And which one of us can afford to not do it today or do it in a different way in order to have sort of emergency childcare for him? We were very jealous, candidly, about those whose families were nearby and they could rely on them because we just never could throughout our, you know, our child raising period. So I, I remind myself when it comes to the employees that they, you know, a number of them are in the same position and stuff is going to happen and they're, well, they're going to need to have as much flexibility as they possibly can to address those issues. And as I, you know, I tell everybody, look, we're we're not doing brain surgery or heart surgery. We're not saving lives, right? If someone doesn't come to work, nobody is going to, you know, evaporate. So if we, if we need to adjust, we adjust and that they're, they need to make sure that they're, you know, they're prioritizing their family responsibilities in the right way. And that way, when they are doing their work, I think they feel more invested because they know that we've got their backs.
1: You know, yeah. Bob, it's like we're living in parallel worlds because my parents are in New Jersey and Lori's family's in central Pennsylvania.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. And <laughs> yeah. we know so many people, and it's probably the case in many cities, who just don't have family around and yeah. we're relying on our own villages. And that was even harder during COVID because then there just weren't even people who you could rely on. But um, I was having flashback to the fact that jason and i we have a weekly meeting you know hot date on the couch every saturday night where we sort of map out for the week whose obligation each day is ultimately no. more important than the other person's yeah. obligation each day <laughs> just in case something falls apart you know and in fact things when the kids were really little did often fall apart with daycare germs and yeah. folks who got sick and whatever i'm also reflecting on the fact that there are more and more companies who are able to provide backup care benefits now and i definitely um, when i was a uh, partner at a law firm took advantage of the fact that they had backup care that, you know, could send somebody to your house on a couple hours notice and, and help you continue to work. So that's another, another resource out there in the world these days. Yeah, Lori, Lori to hop in really
3: quickly over here if that's okay. Um, you know, backup care is is one of the things that I was going to suggest has been so impactful that our clients have been offering both for us and for others, right? It's not a unique to Vivi. But Bob said something, you, you all said something really interesting before about the importance and the urgency of people actually getting to work and showing up and doing it on versus doing it on their own time. I'm just having flashbacks right now to the height of COVID. We were one of the few programs that was allowed to stay open because of the yeah, end. And we received a special exception from the government. And it was because of our partnership with New York Presbyterian, who is one of our largest clients. And um, our people have, it's funny, they, you know, we have 200 employees, of which 15 are on the corporate team and 185 are teachers. Teachers don't have remote work. They have to show up. And, and Bob, I'm sure I'm sure you get this too. And so, so much of what we were struggling with is how do we match the two up from a cultural perspective and make sure that we don't become two different organizations. And it ended up working out really well in the end because everybody showed up and everybody showed up in a big way for each other. I, I think it was one of the most impactful times for our culture as a company where we had a choice of shutting down and trying to wait this out or showing up and serving I'm just so proud of all of our teachers who answered the call and literally came in to school, came into New York Presbyterian, came into people's homes, because that's the mission that they felt set on fire for. And so there, this tension will always exist where you have physical programs versus just um, a headquarters team.
1: But we navigated in a way that I'm really proud of, I think. And that's great. That's really great. Bob, you had said something earlier around when you were being recruited for CEO of the DC Bar, where they had asked you to uh, describe yourself in three words, and you said, dad. And I think that dovetails nicely into this question. So, you know, at the intersection of parenthood and career, what career-related skills do you think parenthood has, has helped you grow?
2: Particularly over these past few years, I've really started to focus on... Well, let me back up. So, you know, when I, when I was hired, they had me do a zillion tests, right, including the Hogan assessment, and a bunch of other things. And it told me what I already knew about myself, which is one of my um, traits slash habits is I feel the need to jump in and fix the things that are broken. When I see something that needs to be addressed, my natural instinct is just to go ahead and get in there and do it. Sometimes it's required, but more often than not, it's I can be stepping on other toes or not allowing people to use their own skills and judgment, to grow, to develop the necessary um, independence to figure things out for themselves. And so I've worked really hard through the CEO side of things is to take a beat anytime these things come up to figure out whose problem is this really, and who ought to be addressing. it. there's a Harvard Business Review article that I live and die by about time management, which is who's got the monkey it's been, re, it's been, uh, I
0: love that one. Yep. Yeah. It's,
2: it's been, it's been updated a bunch of times. But essentially, the, the concept is when a problem arises, it's a monkey on somebody's back and your employee walks in with the monkey. And the question is, who's walking out with the monkey? Like, is the monkey staying in your office with you or is it walking out with them? Like, who owns the monkey? And so uh, it's taken me a long time. And I talked to the staff about this too, like, who's who owns the monkey? Um to make sure that you know the the care and feeding of that monkey is in the hands of the person who really ought to be caring for and feeding the monkey, and how often that monkey needs to be cared for and fed and that is translated over interestingly enough into my um some of my parenting with my son and i'll just like he he's not a virtual learner, and so last year, which was seventh grade for him, was miserable, like beyond miserable because he He's a social person he needs to he needs to be with other people but and I realized quickly in the beginning of his school year that like there was no learning that was actually taking place. so I moved him out from his room into the living room where I was working virtually, and I literally listened into all of seventh grade, like all of his classes sort of trying to do my work and his listen in. So then I it could... It sounds like a fascinating experience. In and oh all. my God. I was, I've never been so miserable in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, every day was like, I'm, 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 we're doing mitosis and meiosis and Punnett squares and the area of, of various polyhedrons. I mean, it was just unbelievable. So, but it was the way to get him through this. And so little by little... As the year went on, it was like, no, this is like, you know, it is your work to be done. And I realized that this is really hard for you and I'm here to help you. But little by little, it needs, you know, you got to own paying attention to when your homework is due and what's going on. This is it's your monkey that needs to be done. I'm here to help catch the monkey if it falls off your back. But it's it is your monkey. And now they started eighth grade in person. A lot of that stuff, a lot of the, you know, you are responsible. You need to take care of it all yourself. Has Played out. And so he just finished the first quarter at parent teacher conferences and, and they're talking about, oh, he never misses a homework assignment. And he always participates in class. Like the difference between being virtual and being in person was enormous. But I also think it had a lot to do with the fact that, you know, as miserable as it was, and I've used that word now nine times, but it was miserable of just go, doing what, you know, what I do essentially with the staff, which is who owns this issue? Like who's the best place to actually address it, and do you really need the CEO to weigh in here um, on what's going on? Not you know not to say that I I don't have a role in all this. I may very well, but so I think that 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 like I, I literally have this vision vision each time when these things come up. Okay, there's this monkey now right here. Who's going to walk out with it? I don't think it belongs to me. It belongs to someone else. Anthony, this is your monkey. You take care of it.
0: Love that. And we can pile on with the word miserable. I mean, that was, it was. Oh, my gosh. It
2: was so <laughs> awful. It was. I love him. I, I thought for sure my relationship him with him was going to be destroyed because when you're 13 years old, your sole mission in life is to spend as little time with your parents as humanly possible. Right? <laughs> I mean, your goal is to get away from them at all costs. And yet he was literally crazy glued to me for 18 months. Now, miraculously, I think actually we now have a way closer relationship than we did before. And I think largely because I didn't kill him along the way, but I could not be any happier with how he has transitioned back to in-person life. I, I count my blessings because it could have not been as great, but it, it turned out to be just, just wonderful.
1: Bob that's incredible imagery and I love the monkey on the back uh, analogy. That's and, and congratulations that you and your son are
2: still talking to each other and loving <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, there's there's a little teenage
2: snark in there of course, but he is still talking to me.
0: Okay, and we'll link in show notes to the HBR article that you're mentioning.
1: Char, uh, Charlie same question. What what uh career related skills do you think parenthood has helped you grow?
3: That's uh, such a great question. And it's also interesting because Bob and I are, are different ends of the spectrum in terms of where our kids are in their life. For me, I think um, it all comes down to communication. You ever try to get a two-year-old to do anything that they don't want to do, like wear a red shirt if they want to wear a yellow shirt? It's almost like this Nirvana type thing. You've got to kill your ego and focus on the other person and the outcomes that you want to have happen from it. And for me, I always found that so powerful. We've got to get her in the car seat. We've got to drive and miss traffic, or it's gonna. I'm not gonna get into work by 11 o'clock in the morning. I can give her uh, a Kit Kat bar and be dad of the year. I'm saying that sarcastically too. I could, you know, force her in there and listen to her cry for three hours, or I can talk to her about it and figure out, you know, where, where do we be in the middle on this and, and how do we achieve that? And inevitably, that sometimes I slip and give her a Kit bar, but for the most part, it's it's just kind of one of the discussions of, oh, why don't you want to go? It's because you're gonna miss mommy let's make mommy a project at school when we get there and just kind of buying into that. I mean, how many of our clients that I talk to that are CEOs and we, when we talk about our, our curriculum, they say, Oh, I should just bring this into our boardroom and, and apply the same kind of logic to our you know, senior VPs and CFO, because ultimately it's, it's the outcomes that matter. And I think for me, it's really all about that communication. It's about communication, empathy, and, and really remembering that you're there to support them rather than the other way around.
1: That's great that you're focusing on communication and empathy, especially when you've got little beings that really can't fully communicate (laughs) their needs to you and you're needing to guess all the time. So,
3: I think our vice presidents and C-level employees are really, really capable, so I, I would disagree with that characterization of them.
0: Oh, no. He no. meant your, your no, child. No, your children. <laughs>
3: I know. I'm totally, I'm totally joking. That was the joke. See if we had to play the video, we would be able to, to see the joke on that front.
1: So let's stay with you, Charlie. So as a dad CEO, what do you see your role in shaping the conversation around working parenthood?
3: And I think this is magnified not only because uh, for two reasons, right? There's a micro of me being a dad of free, but also us being an organization committed to, to working families. For me, I, one of the the people that I really admire is Danny Meyer, the uh, founder and CEO of Square Hospitality Group, and in his book "Setting the Table." Um, one of the things that I found so powerful is said, you know, as, as a leader in an organization, everything that you say has a microphone on it or a megaphone on it, and everything that you do has a microscope on it. So, like, pay attention because everybody's always watching, and it's going to affect how the rest of the, how the rest of the organization takes its cues. For me, I I think that it's important to be vocal, to be clear, and to be kind of unrelenting in being on the message that work-life balance is this kind of weird fallacy. It's about integration. and, And we have to support families if we want them to be successful, because we want us to be successful in fulfilling that mission. And so it's the constant beating of that drum and saying, you know, this is what we believe. This is why we believe it. This is how we do it. And it's one of those places where culture and values... Sure, you can write it on a piece of paper, but if it's purely aspirational and it has no touch to reality, it's just not going to work. Where it ends up becoming really valuable is, is, you know, it's what, it's what keeps the lights on. It's, it's what keeps everybody working. It's what, it's what keeps an eye on everything when you're sleeping, right? That's, that's where culture comes into play. And, and so I, I kind of see my, one of my primary roles is being the steward of that culture and being the driver of it and making sure that it's on message. It's on point and it's truly authentic to who we are into what we believe. And obviously there's there's rhetoric versus action, but but it goes a long way. And it's important to to be pretty clear and to be um I think unforgiving in, in the in the, the way that you put it forward.
1: I like how you bring the megaphone to such an important topic. Good for you, Charlie. Uh, Bob, to you, same question. As a dad CEO, what do you see your role in shaping the conversation around working parenthood?
2: So I, I agree with Charlie that you can't just, this is not just sort of write down policies and then stick them in an employee handbook someplace. You have to actually live it. Your staff, your colleagues need to see you living it in a way that demonstrates that you are really committed to the importance of family, to the importance of the work-life integration Charlie mentioned. And there are ways to do this, right? So there are really, con- besides writing down policies, there are really concrete ways. For example, even if I'm working eat- into the evening, And I do. I don't send any emails to anybody that, well, I may type the emails out, but I delay the delivery until the following morning. Because I know that if they get an email from me at eight or nine o'clock at night, someone's going to feel, even though I tell them, you don't need to respond to it. Someone's going to feel compelled because the CEO sent me an email. So I delay it. If you're on leave, if you're on vacation, I send you no emails during that time period. I just delay them until you're back. Yeah, I mean, so I don't forget because I will forget because I'm old to actually put the thing down in writing. But I will. That's one example. I talk to everybody at every all staff meeting about the need to take leave. Like we give lots. We're very generous with our leave policy and that the managers, when you are on leave, ought not to be communicating with you at all during that time period. So you don't feel compelled to be monitoring your emails and you can't completely disconnect or unplug. So you gotta you gotta live you gotta live that life. Um, you've got to demonstrate it that even at the highest level, you have no expectation that they're going to sacrifice their family time, their family um, uh, relationships for work. Again, now not to say that emergencies don't come up; they do, but they are they're they're rare enough in our environment that you you ought not to be. Living every minute for fear, in fear of missing an email or missing some kind of communication. I mean, that's just one example, but there are others as well. I think the other thing that I can do in really helping to shape the conversation is to be open and vulnerable about it. So I talk to them about my anxieties, for particularly when it comes to things like you know going back into the building and changing, um, you know, moving from remote work to hybrid work and how much flexibility people are going to need in the rest and I talk about it with them like I give them examples out of my own life experience so that they know that as I said in the beginning their issues are my issues we're not making decisions in a vacuum we're not making them disconnected to their life experiences and we have all these competing interests in terms of serving our members and board of governors and you know financial obligations and the rest but they understand what we're thinking of is exactly the same things that they're thinking of and providing them a channel to get their thoughts and views to me. And one of the ways that we do that is that we have, a, we have an intranet site where we have an anonymous a thing, a feature where you can send me an anonymous and confidential comment or questions. And I address every single one of them at the all staff meetings, which are every two weeks. And so you could send me a, a note about anything. And they do. <laughs> Boy, do they! Um, about anything at all that's on their minds, and I will take it up and be on, even if I don't have an answer. Let them know kind of what I'm thinking or what we're thinking, or what we're looking at, so they know that we hear them loud and clear. Particularly with their concerns about uh, work-life integration, wellness, mental health, and the rest. Um, in response to um, some concerns folks have been having about stress and anxiety, we decided we would add a talk space benefit to all of our employees. So the the DC Bar bought a mass subscription to Talkspace and will pay for it for all of our employees and their families. So I that's one example of how we can respond by listening.
0: That modeling is so important that you described, Bob, and I love the, the communication loop there too. Sadly, we are getting toward the end of this conversation and we do need to wrap up. And every Parents at Work episode, we end with three rapid fire questions. So Bob, I'll stick with you and then we'll turn to you, Charlie. Okay, your three questions are, what is your number one best piece of advice for navigating life as a working parent, your number one book, and your number one piece of technology? So advice, book, and technology.
2: Oh, my gosh. Um, uh, Number one, cut yourself a break. You're not infallible. You're going to make mistakes. Deal with it. My number one book, anything on Audible that's not related to work. Seriously, Uh do it when you're when you're walking the dog, when you're driving. It is a I'm I know I do like three or four of these books a week. It just makes my life so much better. And my number one piece of technology, Audible. I love it.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Bob. And over to you, Charlie. Number one piece of advice. Number one book. Number one piece of technology. Piece of advice: Everything is really messy, and you're going to be
3: just fine. Everything is hard in the moment. People have done this before. You're going to do it again. Uh, and you're doing the best that you can. Number one book. I'm gonna throw a purple on this. My favorite book around this is really the pow pow fish, which is what I read with all my kids uh, seemingly multiple times every night. Uh it's Sorry, a fun say, story.
0: Say the name again, Charlie. Yeah. I didn't I didn't catch it.
3: The pow pow fish. It's a children's book. So it's it's one of our favorite goodnight books with, with okay. the babies. And and I don't think I've read I don't think I've had the opportunity to read a full book in two years since, since <laughs> whenever grace was born so this is where where i pulled in and then my favorite piece of technology look for me and this is kind of an overarching theme uh knowing yourself and what's important is is great for me the way that i'm able to compartmentalize is by naming my anxieties and nailing them and so for me the two most important things that i've been able to use so far um have been uh nanit, and which is a, a camera over your crib or over the um over the bass nets that let you really just monitor the child whether you're it's Wi-Fi enabled. So if you're at home, if I'm at the office or whatever, I can always check it. And then two, the SNU, which has been a lifesaver life for us um, to get these babies to sleep.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I wish things like the SNU and the Cradlewise Crib had existed when our children were small. But alas, we, we did it manually. Thank you so much, Charlie. Thank you so much, Bob. This has been a wonderful conversation. Really enjoyed having you here today and um, appreciate your willingness to be open and vulnerable and vocal about parenthood as a CEO.
3: Thank you so much for having us. And um, thank you for all the the important, incredible work that you guys are doing on behalf of parents everywhere. Indeed. Thanks so much, Jason.
2: Thanks, Laura.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks to everybody who listened today. Um, If you enjoyed this episode and think that it would be helpful to any of your working parent friends or colleagues, please forward it along and go ahead and leave us a quick review on any of the places that you find uh, the the Parents at Work podcast. Stay tuned for our next episodes and we look forward to talking to you then.